Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. I'm so excited about this episode for a few reasons. One, just because I really enjoy the, the two of you, but also because we're going to get into a Q&A today and we haven't done a Q&A, I feel like, in a while. So that's pretty exciting. But first, we have very, very important things to deal with. And that important thing is Holly's dad joke. I'm feeling like the mega pressure because it's not it's not technically a dad joke. Like, And for context, I was listening to a psychology podcast and it came up. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say the dad joke. And if it, I've got, I have open next to me a page of dad jokes, just in case you guys are like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that wasn't funny. <laughs> okay, so anyway. Um, the joke was, did you hear about the Buddhist vacuum cleaner? It comes oh. with no attachments. Oh, I like that. I like it. It's very meaningful. Yes. It is meaningful. I mean, it is our kind of dead joke. It is our kind of dead joke. And I feel like, okay, wiping the sweat from my brow. To, <laughs> I feel like to, to put context to this, to anyone that is like, I don't get it. So in Buddhism, they talk a lot about how the source of our suffering are our attachments to things and to feelings and to experiences. And actually it's funny because for me, a couple of years ago, an ex-boyfriend gave me like this, this Buddhism, it was like probably a book that like Hare Krishna gives you or something like that. It was one of those like, like propaganda little mini books, but I read it and it was, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 pages. And it, and there was something in there that just blew, like it completely changed the way that I live. And it was like, it was the only time we are disappointed is when our expectations do not live up to reality. And then the other, the other thing that completely changed the way that I live my life is if there's no solution, it's not a problem. And that for me was just, oh my gosh. Cause, and to, to explain the way that I interpret this is that we often spend a lot of time suffering or creating suffering for ourselves around problems that don't actually have a solution. And so if it doesn't have a solution, it's not a problem. It just is. And so when we can accept the things that just are and focus our energy on the things that actually do have some type of solution, we relieve ourselves from so much suffering. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Holly. I feel like that was fantastic. I, I feel a deep sense of relief that everyone enjoyed the Buddhism uh, joke. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. Um, and I, I believe I got it from this guy, Peter Bloom, who does a lot of uh, research on the like suffering and, and enjoyment and like why we sometimes pursue suffering and all this kind of stuff. So he's, he's coming he- to that like, Buddhist um, vibe of things. I think he was on the Armchair Expert podcast recently. Oh, which, I, I don't listen to it, so I have no idea, but it's possible. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's funny because, so that podcast is one of my favorites, mostly just because they have some absolutely fantastic guests. Mm. Like it is where that podcast is where I discovered Susan David, who, mm. you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard us mention Susan David on at least five episodes, if not more. They just recently had Brene Brown on again. They have had Obama on. They've they've had some really cool guests. 
I mean, it's fantastic. It, it makes me a little bit jealous because I'm like, well, it's run by Dax Shepard, who's a who's an actor, and then his friend who kind of became famous, I think, through this through this podcast. And it kind of is like, oh, they get to interview such cool people. But it's also like, well, like the, he he realized like I'm famous, like I'm an actor, I get access to all of these people. I'm gonna take advantage of that. And honestly, it's just cool because they have they do like one a week that is like a famous person, and then they do one that's like an interesting person which sorry if you're famous and interesting, <laughs> but yeah. Two I, can I, I coexist. We're not saying they can't, but yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I the listen- point is that sometimes most of the, like some of the most interesting people, particularly like uh, if it's scientists and researchers, like they're often in a lab and they don't necessarily like get their information out there to the masses. Yeah. And so when you can find someone like that, who's a lay person, who's really good at interviewing researchers and bringing them out of their shell and communicating the information in a different way it can be like super effective way to uh connect with some of those kind of people in the messages 100 holly i'm not sure if i asked you about this but did we talk about um matthew walker and the the stuff that came out about him and his book and kind of like pseudoscience and it maybe not being oh yeah 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 we did did we we did talk about that and the the russian student right who um did the whole debunking thing and um i mean he like matthew walker's talked about it since and i i think like overall the when you get into reading the book why we sleep which blew up a couple of years ago Yeah. yeah And I think overall, the thing is when you get into like critiquing papers, you realize that you can pick apart absolutely any paper and absolutely any stat. Um, and like overall, I think there, my view on that debunking was kind of like, what are you trying to achieve? Because most of the messages in Matthew Walker's book are, are pretty decent. And I think the thing, the issue most people had with it was like, is it a bit fear around like, what if you can't sleep? And that I completely get. Like, I think that's very acceptable. And he, and he since then has said like, yep, cool. I get that the tone in which I wrote that book for some people probably wasn't helpful. Like he said that it's one of those things that again, you can't necessarily write in the, in the nuance for everyone. And like, when you're a scientist, you are going to write things in a certain way that feels very like factual and whatever. And you might not understand the nuance of people who are like, have anxiety and are reading your book. Like, okay, cool. Like he didn't get that. Um, I the, the debunking I'm kind of like what 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 do you want out of this yeah you know like yeah and I, I could do that to any book in theory go in and be like I'm going to rip apart the methodology they use I'm going to rip apart the, yeah. the statistics they use I'm going to rip apart whatever and it's like I see that so much now like I feel like I see more people pulling apart like papers than actually looking at what it's offering like it's just it's become a weird thing. And like the science kind of community, I mean, I do, I read a lot of like stuff around, you know, exercise science and things like that. And it's just like, oh, can we just, I mean, yes, to be aware of these things, but like you said, I mean, we can pull apart anything, like any study. It's like, things are so specific. (laughs) Well, I think, and, and I think this probably like helps us lead into the topic for today, but I think also understanding that what, like, what is the intention that is behind a lot of this stuff and how does it need to be communicated in order for lots of people to understand it? And so I think that this is, you know, today we're going to talk about understanding permission to eat and why that may lead to still binging even in, in the context behind it. But I think when we're looking at like, for example, the communication around like quote unquote food freedom or ditching diet culture is like, 
it's a very broad message. There is science behind why it's very helpful to to like move past specific diet rules. Like, you know, we see things like health at every size. I just heard something recently picking apart health at every size and like debunking it. And I think that one, we can understand that like we can't one, we can't please everyone all the time. And I think understanding that a lot of these books, like for example, why we sleep or, uh, you know, a lot of books that we've all read is like, it has to appeal to a large enough group of people in order to make money. And so in order to do that, there may be a little bit like sensationalization happening in order for it to appeal to more people. And, And I think that that's why things, you know, like why intuitive eating has gotten such a huge like boom recently is because like people are trying to capitalize on it in order to capitalize on something, you have to make it available to a wider range of people. 100% Jillian. And I think that what's um, important to know as well, when it comes to like social media and the information that is put out on social media is that often people are running their businesses through social media. And there is um, a part of that, which is marketing and speaking to an ideal client. And so a lot of what you might be reading might be specific to one kind of person with a specific problem and what that person is selling is a solution to that problem. And so I think that that kind of gets things really weird as well. And so we have to understand kind of where that person is coming from and potentially the, um, the marketing aspect with that as well. Definitely. And, and kind of speaking on this concept of like food freedom and permission to eat, which I think is talked about a lot, especially in the realm of social media in which we are in. And the question that we want to cover today is one that actually came from a client of mine. And I think we've probably had, probably all of us have had clients that have asked a a similar question to this. And this question is, I'm giving myself permission to eat. Why am I still binging? And so we wanted to touch on a little bit of the context of why that may be happening. We're going to also offer some, some insight into how this has shown up in our own lives in the past. Who wants to set the scene for what it is that we're going to actually go into in this Q&A? Well, you should ask the, the question that, you, that your client asked you. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so this, is, this is kind of the scene that, that has been coming up for this client. If you're listening, hi, client, I love you. This is a client who has been working through kind of coming out of a very restrictive pattern for many, many years with food and is moving towards using like hand portions to to balance out her meals and is working towards checking in with herself before before choosing different foods and really starting to respect her hunger and fullness. And there's one food in particular that she finds really, really difficult to moderate. And in the past, that food had been chocolate. She's now at a point with chocolate where she can kind of take it or leave it. She really checks in with herself, but she's noticing that peanut butter in particular is very, very triggering to her. And she really struggles to eat what she believes to be moderate portions of peanut butter. And so this is why she came to me and she was like, look, like, I feel like I've been so successful and giving myself permission to eat in so many different areas. And this is the one thing that keeps coming up. What's going on? I don't understand this. Yeah. And the reason that we wanted to use this example for today is because although you are a very special um, client who is out there, um, it's a really common situation. And especially with things like chocolate or peanut butter or whatever, and peanut butter in particular and nut butters in particular, Olivia and I went through the exact same thing. And, And even before we went through the whole HA conversation, 
Olivia and I were talking before that about like how how much we loved peanut butter and like how could we like uh, eat it in moderation and like we we were struggling with that having been coaches for like six seven plus years uh, and that was still going on Uh, and it's something we see a lot with clients um and one thing I'll say in particular with uh like nut butters is that when we start giving ourselves permission to eat more foods a lot of fear foods come up for people and and have to be like quote unquote conquered right and I think that for some people like like pasta is one that I see come up a lot um or pizza or bread that's like the carb family of of Andy was mine yeah Uh, the thing with those stuff like pasta and bread and whatever is that it's quite uncomfortable to eat in a large amount just because of how the volume of it changes in your body Whereas high fat foods like peanut butter, um, you can eat a large quantity of it. And because it's so dense, it's not going to cause physical discomfort at the same pace as you might with like um, pasta or pizza or uh, whatever bread or whatever that is. And so when people are like, okay, cool, I'm getting much better at getting in touch with my hunger fullness cues. um, And they're able to use that to help them to moderate portions. They're like, cool, I think I'm kind of getting this. Like, I can get into hunger fullness because I'm quite good at, uh, at stopping when I'm fairly satisfied. Uh, the thing with like a, a dense food, like a nut butter is that you're not going to get those signals at the same pace that you might in terms of stomach volume uh, as with some, something like pasta or bread or another food where you're like, wow, I find that quite easy to overcome. I think that's one physiological thing that we want to look at there just to set the scene before we go into the psychological side. Something that, uh, you know, just touching on our experience there, like um, when I think about how I turned into someone who <clears throat> was able to eat peanut butter in moderation and now kind of don't love it as much as I thought that I did um, and can easily go without it, um, is it wasn't just giving myself permission to eat peanut butter. It was giving myself permission to eat all foods and eating all foods because I tried times to just focus on permission with peanut butter but I just became hyper aware of that even more but I found that over time if I allowed myself to eat all foods then that focus on specific foods that intensity decreased and that was also the focus as well is not getting to this place of like okay I have a good relationship with peanut butter now it's more like how can the intensity of this just decrease a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit to the point where it's like, oh, okay, I haven't actually thought about peanut butter today. But that was like looking at all foods, not just that one food. It's also one of these things that we kind of believe that, oh, I've made this decision in my head to allow all foods and stop dieting. But it's like, our, our brains and our bodies don't forget that quickly. Like it's impossible for us to not include previous experiences and biases and, and previous decisions and food rules in what's happening right now. And I think that as much as we would like to just say, oh, I've turned the page on this, I'd like to leave it behind. A lot of the time food rules still persist, even if they're not fully top of mind in the way that they may have been when we were specifically dieting or restricting certain foods. And so I think that often those food rules can shift. And instead of being like, oh, I can't have peanut butter in the house, maybe the rule shifts to I'm only like, I can have peanut butter, but I can only have it if it's one spoonful 
or I can have chocolate, but only one piece of dark chocolate after this meal. And so while that feels like, oh, I'm allowing myself to eat all foods, there still is a restriction there. And we still feel like we want to push against that restriction. Another thing that comes up a lot, I think when this happens, and this is why you guys know that I'm constantly talking about eating mindfully is that often we're in the process of eating these foods. And instead of enjoying them, we enjoy the anticipation of eating them. And then while we're actually eating them, there's so much going on in our brains about, am I going to be able to restrict the next portion of it? Oh no, you can only have this much. There's so much noise in our heads while we're eating it, that the enjoyment actually isn't even there. Yeah. And what you identified there, Jillian, is really important, which is the food rules. And um, there's three main kinds of food rules that we see, particularly in relation to um, overeating or binging or what just feeling out control around food in general. And once you know what these three food rules are, like what I often have clients do is um, go back and we work backwards through their thoughts and work out which food rules came up um, so that we can work on like challenging those food rules or relaxing them or accepting them, whatever it is for that person. And so the three kinds of food rules are when rules. So this would be like, I'm allowed to have chocolate, but only after lunch and not after dinner, or um, I can only have carbs after my workouts or at a certain time or before a certain time, Um, or intermittent fasting is a good example of this, right? Like I'm only allowed to eat between this time and this time. I'm not allowed to eat after this time. Um, Those would be when rules. And the second kind of rule is what rules? That's what we often see like food groups being cut out. So I might be like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat nut butters because they're too fatty. Um, or uh, I'm not allowed to eat any carbs. Like I'm, I'm keto or I'm paleo or I'm whole 30 um, or I'm whatever. And the final one would be, uh, and that by the way, it's like sugary foods might also go in there. That's a very common what rule. And then the last one is how much rules, right? Where we go, I'm allowed to eat whatever I want as long as it fits within my macros or my calories or my whatever or I'm allowed to eat chocolate, but it's only allowed to be one piece or it's only allowed to be two pieces or it's allowed to be up to five pieces, but no more. And so what you want to do when you are experiencing overeating still with any any food in general, but with a specific food, is like, do that. Like when it happens, be like, okay, cool, it's happening. We've talked before about curiosity over judgment. And if you get curious, you can then use that to work back and be like, which rule came up that I'm now rebelling against? that's usually what we're seeing something with and then you can either work through that rule yourself or work through it with a coach if you have to be working with someone yeah I think that this one also can be a hard one to face because there's fear behind it right like rules exist to protect ourselves from something that we feel like could be dangerous or could be scary or whatever that is and so addressing those rules can take a lot of self-awareness and but if this is something if you were if you really feel like it is important to you to address like, Hey, I would really like to start giving myself full permission to eat and understanding that. And I think I've said this example on the podcast before, but just in case I'll, I'll make it very brief is like understanding that permission is not just saying yes to things all the time. Like, for example, if you're someone that loves going to the movies and I tell you, you can go to the movies whenever you want any day of the week, any time of the week, you're probably going to choose what fits best with your schedule, what fits best with the commitments that you have, like what movies you want to see. But if I tell you, if you really like to go to the movies and I tell you, you can only go Saturday at four, you're probably going to try to move things around in your calendar and really like 
like make an effort to make that one Saturday at four session happen. And this is what happens when, when we don't give ourselves full permission to eat is we try to get in as much as we can when we can, because that's within the structure and the rules that we've been given. But when we have full permission to do something, we are allowed, we have the option of saying yes or no, whenever we actually truly want to, it aligns with our values, it aligns with our emotions, it aligns with our feelings and, and what we want in the moment. I think that this kind of goes along with some of the action steps to start working through this. And, and so we touched on understanding food rules. I think Holly did an incredible job of explaining that. What are some ways to actually start or maybe, I don't know if, if the two of you want to speak on how you work through this yourselves and then we can go into those action steps. Yeah, sure. So I think the reason Livy and I want to share our own stories with it is because we had quite different outcomes. I mean, both outcomes being like that if we want to eat peanut butter now, we can do it and it's absolutely fine, um, but for different reasons, right? And so for me, again, like I think for all of us, the HA recovery process was very freeing in terms of, uh, adjusting our relationship to a lot of these foods for me what I did was peanut butter it was just nut butters in general I think but peanut butter tends to be one that like is more widely available I used to uh, at some points in time be able to like just eat a jar of peanut butter f- now when I think about that I'm like how like I don't even know how I did it but th- that was a thing that I could do like anytime I bought a jar of peanut butter I'd be like this time this time I'll have it in moderation blah blah and I would just eat the whole thing because that's what I was thinking about over and over, like how much, how much, how much, how much. Previously, my relationship with peanut butter being fine, what triggered, I I know exactly what triggered the turn in my relationship with it. And it was doing an RP diet uh, template where they had written on there the serving of peanut butter. And I remember like the first time I weighed it out being like, holy shit, oh my God. And because I had such ignorance around the nutritional content of that rather than being like oh that's interesting I've learned something new I uh, my interpretation but you know based on the kind of personality I had was how could I not have known this like what an idiot um this is you know this is the thing that's to blame for like any any progress I have or haven't made or whatever like that diet template was basically what yeah that's what worked me into that relationship with peanut butter so anyway when I started to try and fix that um like I had to start off with just any time I thought that something might taste good with peanut butter, just eating it with peanut butter. Like, and that's really scary because especially if you're struggling with body image stuff or you have come from a big macro tracking background, your first instinct is as you're like taking the peanut butter out, you can mentally count. Um, you can mentally count the calories or the fat content or whatever it is. It's, it's a tricky place to be in and you have to just override it. Um, and so for me, it's just like, anytime I thought about it, I didn't try and challenge it. I didn't try and sit with it and be like, do I want it? Do I not want it? Blah, blah, blah. Like that was too much for me. I just had to go, cool. If I thought about it, I'm just going to eat it. And I need to gain weight anyway. And if, even if I do like, who cares? Um, and I just kept doing that until it didn't matter to me so much anymore. And then I would experiment with cool. Like what if I don't eat peanut butter on this one day, but tomorrow I'll eat it again. Like, let me just, I just want to see how I feel on a day without eating it. And that let me be curious. And I go, cool, like, and tomorrow I'm going to eat it again. No matter what, tomorrow I'm going to eat it again for sure. Um, and I would eat it again, then like try taking it out for a day and then try taking it out for two days and whatever. And I would just keep it really flexible. And now I'm at the point where, you know, I've probably, I, I still love peanut butter. And I grew up with it in my sandwiches every day. I was a vegetarian child and I didn't like cheese. So peanut butter was like every day. So it's like big nostalgia factor for me, right? Um, and now I can have it. I can have it every day if I want. And I will purposefully 
um I usually have it my breakfast every day I'll purposely like once every week or once every two weeks not put it on for a day just to remind myself that I can do it and then I'll go back to just doing it every day and it's so nice and like a, a joy that diet culture stole from me was eating peanut butter out of a jar I love it I love having the jar of peanut butter next to my breakfast and just putting some on my spoon and then eating it with my breakfast I love that so much and diet culture stole it for me because I can't measure that like oh my god but how do you know how much is going on the spoon and into your breakfast um that was a massive stress and now I can do it I love doing that and it's so nice to have it back yeah that was that was my experience with it nice and, and, and for me it's the thing that I still love Mine was way back when I was doing bodybuilding because um, it was a food that was a bad food and you could only have a certain amount. Um, And it was a very, it was like scarcity mindset around peanut butter. And everybody talked about peanut butter as being like like the holy grail, you know? It was like, that is the kind of naughty food that we're allowed to have in our diet. Um, and it was that and protein bars and so for me I just created this whole thing about peanut butter or nut butter being um, something that was like off limits most of the time and so it became a scarcity thing for me Um, but the way that I and that was for many years but the way that I started to move through that was like I said before is that was just part of the whole thing for me like just starting to explore all different foods. And actually something that you said, Holly, was what I did as well was allowed myself to actually not have it. Because if I didn't have it each day, I would be like, oh, I'm not having the peanut butter. Like that's my thing. Like I I need to have the peanut butter because it's like a, it's like a naughty thing, but it's a safe thing. And that's my thing. Um, but then I just had days where I didn't have it And I was like, oh, I actually don't need to have this and I can have it the next day and it's totally fine. I mean, this was a long time and I went through all sorts of things of portioning it out, trying to have little, little bits like, you know, all of these kind of things that just didn't work because it was still putting rules around it. And I think that one of the, one of the key things as well was stopping to track it. Because it was like, if I'm going to track anything, I'm going to track the fats, right? Like I have to track peanut butter and weigh it and measure it. But when I stopped tracking that, that was also when I started to trust myself with it a little bit more. I'm not going to go into kind of my experience, not with peanut butter itself, but I, I am like, I very much have a sweet tooth and this was a struggle for me as well. But I know we want to go into the action steps of how to actually start working through this. And a big part of it is curiosity. It's really easy to draw judgment on like, this is bad or this is good. And being able to be curious and keeping that sort of open mind as to like, what is actually going on? How do I explore it? And and being able to reframe, reframe what we believe to be a quote unquote failure as simply an opportunity to understand what's going on. What happened? Why do I think that that happened and how can I start exploring it using some of the context that we provided in this episode? And also we have two other episodes, I believe they're episode 30 and 31, and we can link them in the show notes that go into a little bit more around like binge eating, overeating, and then also emotional eating. And then a big one that we go pretty deep into on the emotional eating episode and also another episode that we have around trigger foods is surfing the urge. So we're not going to dig into that too much, but essentially it is part of that curiosity experience where you start to get curious around 
what are my physical sensations and my thoughts in the moment and understanding that urges tend to have a peak and then they will often recede. But what generally happens is when we feel like we have an urge to do something, we often will quote unquote, like we, we would we'll say like, I gave in when that urge was most high because there isn't a lot of curiosity going on about what are my physical sensations? What are my thoughts doing? And being able to sit with those uncomfortable feelings and perhaps be a little bit uncomfortable for a little while can be really helpful for many people when they're working through some of this stuff, as long as we're also really aware of how can I start releasing some of these when, what, and how much food rolls. Curiosity piece is really important to allow you to sit through that peak um, because otherwise what we start to do is, yeah, quote unquote, give in every time at the peak and then it becomes a, a reinforcement of the behavior, right? So it's like we associate that strength of feeling or that strength of urge or that strength of emotion with the behavior. So another thing that could be really helpful for like starting to foster that curiosity, if you're like, how the hell do I do this? Like, how do I identify bits of the urge? Like how, what, what the hell is going on um, is a behavioral analysis chain. And um, if that sounds quite sciencey, it's not as sciencey as it looks. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a, a Google doc of this and I'll make it like a public Google doc and we'll put it in the show notes. But basically what the behavioral analysis chain lets you do is and, and it just requires sitting down and doing the task. It's a written task. And if you've had a, a binge episode or an overeating episode where you're like, what the hell just happened? Like, how did I get to that point? You sit down and you, you write down the thing that happened and then you work through the whole series of events, emotions, thoughts, um, behaviors, and physical sensations that led up to it. And therefore you can identify the bits in the chain that was like the turning point, like where was that peak? And it also allows you to identify different areas where you can try intervening. Um, and that helps you to get curious because then you're like, oh, cool. Like now I have areas I can get curious about rather than someone just saying to me, get curious about what happened. And you're like, where, like what, which bit, like, what do I, what do I do here? Like you can break it down into a, into a process and then gives you like little, like uh, sort of um, entryways into curiosity. And then you can try different things at different entryways this stuff is is hard work as well I think that we you know really need to validate that this is really hard and it is a process and it can take a long time but you also have to think like if you do get to a point where it's like oh my gosh I've done it again like this isn't working I'm never going to be a per be, be a person that is going to have an okay relationship with peanut butter or something like that like honestly take it from the girl who literally swore on her life that she would never be able to not be consumed by peanut butter every single day that it can be true um, and that it's just thinking about okay what is the alternative so if you have a time where it's like things the action didn't go the way that you wanted to it's it's like okay I've got a choice here I can either berate myself and be like I'm just going to give up this is just too hard or be like, what is the alternative to try again? And you have to remember as well that a lot of these thoughts and these beliefs that we have around food and stories around food and ourselves and our bodies, they are years in the making. And so allow yourself time to go through these processes and go through these changes. 100%, Olivia, 100%. And I think kind of the last thing that we want to mention as a really practical tip is to understand how, when you're actually eating the food, how are you eating the food? Because often what happens, and I think I mentioned this in the beginning, is that there's a lot of anticipation 
around like, Ooh, this is going to be, this is going to be great. Or, Ooh, I'm doing something that I feel like I shouldn't be doing. And, and we don't actually experience what it's like to taste the flavors, notice the textures, smell the food, actually really be present to this thing that we, we quote unquote enjoy, but we're not allowing ourselves to be present to enjoying it because there's so much mental shit going on that's not allowing us to do that. And so we're also going to add in the show notes. This is an exercise. It's a, I think it's less, it's like a three and a half minute exercise that you need a raisin for. And it's a mindful eating meditation. I send this to so many of my clients and it is so helpful. If you're someone that tends to eat quite distracted, whether that's by an external distraction or extra distraction that's happening in your brain, this can actually help you start to enjoy the process of eating this thing, like whether it is peanut butter or chocolate or whatever that is, actually, if you're going to have it, like enjoy it, actually savor it, enjoy this thing that you say that you enjoy. And I think that a lot of the time when we've got a lot of mental shit going on, it's hard to do. So mindful eating habits in this specific one, I think can be really, really helpful. And with that, we've talked a lot about peanut butter today, friends, a lot about peanut butter. So definitely check the show notes for Holly's Google Doc, because that is going to be such an incredibly helpful structure to start working through, especially as you kind of do this in conjunction with some of the other things that we talked about. And what Olivia mentioned is really important is that this is tough. And like with anything that we try to teach you here on the podcast, trying to do all of the things that we mentioned, every single one of the things that we mentioned all at once may feel overwhelming. Choose one, try it, give it a a good old try, let yourself work through it, get more comfortable with it and see what other tools may be helpful. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and give it a share with anyone that you know that may benefit from it. Give it a share on your social media, send us a message, whether that's through the Be Well Cartel Instagram or through any of us personally, we absolutely love to hear from you and any advice or tips or anything that you need. Hopefully we can help you out with that. And with that, we will see you again next time.